the message today, learning how to walk in the blessing, learning how to walk in the blessing. Lord, I pray that as I unfold this, you will open our hearts and our minds that we could walk in the blessing of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. In Genesis, the 12th chapter, we'll begin looking at the historic basis for blessing. I asked someone this last week when I met them, what's your understanding of the word blessing? If I were to say to you, God will bless you, what would that mean to you? And they said, well, it would mean that I'd be rich. And so later in the week, I asked someone else the same question. What would it mean to you if I said, God bless you? And he said, it would mean everything good would happen for me. That I would be, that I would be able to have my heart's desire. I said, so you want God's blessing? Oh, yes, I want God's blessing. The story of Abraham tells us about the blessing of God and begins to teach us how to walk in the blessing. Chapter 12, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. He didn't know where he was going. So the blessing of God begins with a pilgrimage. You're on your way somewhere and you don't know where you're going to end up. You have a general idea. We're going to end up in heaven if we follow the narrow path. But what's going to happen along the way I don't have any idea. I have a few things the Holy Spirit has whispered to me, and I'm trusting that those things will happen. But in Abram's life, he said, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So again, what does it mean to be blessed? And we begin to understand when we see that Abram departed, took Lot with him, which he was not supposed to do. So at the very beginning of Abram's life, we see that he only went halfway to the land of Haran. He was in Ur, and he was supposed to go to Cana land, and God was going to direct his steps, but he got halfway, and his father was with him, and he wasn't supposed to take his father. And of course, his father's name means delay. 
And Haran means parched. So God begins to pour out his blessing upon Abram. And immediately he is delayed and he is parched. So when you begin to think about blessing, don't begin to think about getting rich. Begin to think about what is God going to do in my life? And I want to show you as Abram walked through step by step this journey for the next 10 chapters of scripture dedicated to this one man, he is taught lesson after lesson of obedience. Now, we need to stop a moment and put Abraham in context. Noah built an ark, and the whole world was destroyed 20 feet above the highest point of land. Every animal died. Every bird died. Every man and every woman was drowned, except those in the ark. Now, it was not a ship. A ship would have a rudder. An ark is merely a place of safety. They were shut in by God. They went through this horrific storm being tossed and tossed and tossed until finally they ground into a mountainside and the tossing stopped, but the water was still all around them. The Lord promised enmity between thee and the woman, between the devil and the church. He promised there would be hatred there, that there would be an opportunity to be redeemed. Adam had lost his home. He lost his provision. He lost his son. Adam lost everything in the Garden of Eden. Then the terrible taking down of the whole earth in total destruction. Now things are beginning to return to normal. Some who were alive on that ship are still alive. And God now wants to look at the earth and choose a man that he can train and make righteous. Because the world is already becoming utterly corrupt. Nimrod is the great hunter. He has already begun to build the ziggurat at Babylon, establishing his own place in history. The righteous rose up and killed Nimrod. Before he could be buried, they cut his body into pieces and sent it all over the earth to be buried because they wanted no one to say that Nimrod was resurrected. But sure enough, his wife said he had been resurrected and had ascended into the sun. So all manner of wickedness is beginning to spread through the earth. And God looks at this and he says, I need one man and I'm going to train that man to be righteous before me. Now a contemporary of Abraham 
was a man by the name of Job. I've often wondered why God didn't choose Job and his descendants, but he didn't. He chose Abram. And he sent him to Cana land. And he began there to build a model of righteousness. You see, we have many different agendas going. We have our work agenda, we have our family agenda, we have all kinds of things that we want to do and accomplish. And when we can't, we get frustrated and angry and try to bulldoze through and it doesn't work. Well, God only has one agenda. One agenda on God's book, and that is to make a people holy who will be the bride of Jesus Christ. So his whole attention, his focus now, now yes, Jesus holds the universe in place. Yes, he commands angels. But he has only one agenda, and that is to make men righteous, to prepare a bride. So when we go to the 22nd chapter of Genesis, let's see how God did in his agenda. Chapter 22, And it came to pass after these things that God did test Abram, Abraham. Now, the word test is translated tempt in the King James Version, but God, it says, does not tempt a man. He tests a man or a woman. Now, please, let me be very straight with you. Right now, God is testing you. And he wants to know, are you righteous yet? Or are you still leaning into disobedience and into the world and into the flesh and into the devil? Or if he gave you the final test he's giving Abraham, could you pass it? And if you can't pass the test, you cannot go to heaven. You have to pass the test. No unrighteous man or woman can enter into the pearly gates of heaven. You have to pass the test. So Abram's whole life, until he's named Abraham, has only been about training him to be righteous, to be innocent, to be clean before God. So now this is his final test. I don't like it. It scares me. I've failed many tests. Have you failed any tests? Gotten angry? Blown up? Accused? Cussed somebody out? Even in your heart? Been impatient, bitter? I've had enough of this God stuff. Gonna go do it my own way. Ever been there? Those are the intermediate tests. But then you finally come to the final. And this is Abram's final test. Abraham said, he said to Abraham, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. Remember, he'd already sent his other son away. He was gone. 
He has one son, Isaac. His name means laughter. There's no laughing here. Take thine only son, whom thou lovest. So when God gives the final test, he's going to always deal with something we love. It wouldn't bother me if God touched something I didn't care about. But he touches what I love, whether it be money, if that's what you love, or ease, if that's what you love, or recognition, if that's what you love. Whatever it is you love, that's where the final test will come. Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. So the final test is, take your son and offer him to me as a burnt offering. Now he's done this many times with a lamb, a ram, a bull. He knows how to take the life of an animal. It's common practice. This is his son. This is the one of promise. This is his legacy. This is his ownership of the land of Canaan. All of this time, he has not been allowed to own any of Canaan except what he buys with his cash. God said, I will give it to you, not you will buy it. Abraham rose up, verse 3. This is Genesis 22, verse 3. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his ass, took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went into the place where God had told him. Verse 9. They came to the place which God had told him of. At least a three-day journey walking. At least a three-day journey walking. What do you suppose he was thinking about? Do you think God was talking to Abraham on these three days of journey? No, you know he wasn't. God spoke. He now waited for the obedience and he's not going to talk to you and comfort you on the way to obey him. He expects you to obey. Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. Isaac was old enough, he could have resisted and said no. But if this was God's command, Isaac was going to obey his father. Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here am I. And he said, lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, 
thine only son from me. And now I want you to look at verse 16. He has passed the test. Have you ever heard all on the altar I lay? Romans, the 12th chapter. Offer yourself as a, as a burnt offering before the God of heaven. Lay it all on the altar. By, my swe- by myself, the Lord said, I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. To understand what was just said, You have to go to the book of Galatians. To understand the word of the Lord, look at Galatians. This is where everything becomes clear. We need to hear and understand chapter 3, verse 15. Brethren, I am speaking as a man, nevertheless, a covenant having been validated by man, no one sets it aside or adds to it. Now to Abraham and his seed, the promise flowed. It does not say, and to seeds As for many, but as for one, and to your seed, who is Christ. Now this I say, a covenant having been previously ratified by God to Christ. So he's saying there was a covenant made in the past history between Jesus And God, it's called in Scripture the everlasting covenant. It is a covenant agreement to provide a way first for man to be atoned for, meaning to make one with God. But it is also the means by which that covenant is put into effect is by making men holy making men righteous. The whole of Scripture is about only one thing. How do we deal with sin? Sin is the topic of the whole Bible. And the focus is how you can receive deliverance from sin that will take you into hell and be granted the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God to be made righteous. 
The word righteous simply means, dikosune, simply means innocent. So God has a whole agenda for how to make us innocent before his throne. And so he begins the process of drawing a diagram that we can look at and understand, and that is called the Old Covenant. And the Old Covenant was made between Moses and the people. It was a law covenant. It was made between God and Moses. Moses was the intermediary. So when I say it was an old covenant between Moses and the people, it's because he was being represented as an intermediary between God and the people. But the purpose of that covenant was to begin to create the reality of a model that people could look at, and then after looking at that model, make a decision to say yes and pass the test. The most exciting thing to me in all of the scripture is that God's heart is to bless us. God does not come to condemn us. He doesn't come to kill us. He came by very careful design to dwell among us, to open a way for us to be washed, for us to be made clean. He opened a way for the blessing of God to flow through Jesus into us. So if you were to ask me, do you want to be blessed, Pastor? I would say, oh, yes, I want to be blessed. I want to be blessed by the Lord God of heaven. And his blessing is always the same. His blessing is to make us innocent before his throne, to establish us before his throne in innocence. And then with that innocence, he flows to us everything necessary to serve him, to bear witness for him, to love other people, to lift their burdens. He's the burden bearer. And so we bring men and women to the burden bearer so they can be made righteous too. So if you look in this Incredible story of Abraham in Galatians. It says, now this I say in verse 17, a covenant having been previously ratified by God to Christ, the law having come into being 430 years later, does not set aside the promise to abolish it. In other words, righteousness does not come by the law. It doesn't come by trying hard. It comes as a blessing from God as he comes and washes us and literally makes us righteous, makes us innocent. And all he asks is that we turn aside actively from those things which will harm us, will destroy us, will cause us sorrow and sadness. 
the Lord comes to bring joy. For if the inheritance is by the law, it is no longer by promise. But God has given to Abraham by promise. Now I want you to look at this passage. Verse 24. The law has been a guide to Christ that we may be made, that we may be made righteous by faith. So the law was given as a schoolmaster so that we could look at it as a mirror. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. The Ten Commandments. They were given to us so that we could look at them and know God's character. The Ten Commandments are literally a description of God's character. This is who he is. But we can't be made righteous by looking at that character description and then trying to force ourselves into the mold to be like that. It doesn't work. So instead, he calls us to walk by faith where we come to Jesus and we allow him to make us innocent, make us righteous. The blessing of God is innocence. The curse of the devil is anger, rage, bitterness, lust. It's all the things of darkness. I'm sure this week you were faced many times with great darkness. And many times you had to make a decision. James says that bait is put out for you. You know, hunters like to go out to the woods in non-deer hunting season. And they like to put corn out in the woods. But in the tree above, they have a seat. Deer never look up. They're always looking down. They want to find the food. So they'll go in and they'll spread the corn. And the deer will come time after time and feast on the corn. But then deer hunting season comes, and they don't know it's deer hunting season until the rifles start to go. But they want to rush to where they always find the corn. What they don't know is there's a rifleman hunter sitting up high, just waiting for you to come and take the bait. Well, the devil plays us the same way. He'll put the bait out time after time, and he may even allow you to take the bait and begin to get comfortable. When I go here, I feel good. I like the music. I like this. I like that. He'll let you go time after time. But one of those times, there will be 
the devil sitting right there ready to jerk that, that snare down around you and you're taken. And you give in. And you say, ah, it doesn't matter this one time. What's it going to hurt? Smoke the pot. Do this, do that. Sit down and feast on darkness. It doesn't matter. But the habits are formed. The patterns of anger and bitterness are formed. The revenge is a part of our character. And then finally, the snare is pulled. And we're caught. And some never get released but are swept away. God's purpose is that we may receive sonship from the Holy Spirit. He wants to make us an heir of God through Jesus Christ. It is his purpose that we may be made righteous by Faith. Now, if you read carefully Hebrews, the 11th chapter, it never made sense to me until I began to understand that the entire 11th chapter requires something that is missing in the 11th chapter, and that is it requires a rhema word from God. All of those People who followed so faithfully in the 11th chapter did so because they heard a very clear rhema word from God. When we hear that rhema word from God, it is a call to begin walking in innocence before him. We are then enabled to walk in that innocence by faith in his promises. And what is the promise of God to us? The promise of God is that he will work in our heart and our character through every tormenting circumstance to bring us to a place where we can pass the final test that Abraham passed in offering on the altar the son he loved. Again, He's always going to choose that which we love to ask us to lay on the altar. A relationship, a job, a favorite pastime. He's going to ask us to lay that on the altar. He's going to ask us, will you give that person to me? Will you give that child to me? Will you give that relationship to me? Will you let me rule in that situation? And Abraham discovered that the Lord is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide on the mountain. So today, if you came in here with any heaviness in your heart, I understand. If you came in here today exhausted, I understand. The battle can be extremely fierce. But know that in all of that, 
The heart of God is to bless you, to strengthen you, and to make you righteous, to make you innocent. Let's pray. Lord, I love you, and I trust what you're doing in my life. I don't understand it, but I trust you. And I look to you, Jesus. You are my hope. You are my redeemer. You are my deliverer. Lord, thank you for your kindness. Now, Lord, please finish the work in my heart and in my brothers and sisters that anything that is not completely washed and clean would you do so quickly? Every place of temptation, would you strengthen us by your spirit? For we know it is not by hard work. It's not white knuckling. We know it is by your spirit and by your blood, Jesus. Would you lift us now to a whole new level? A place where we can pass the test of having been made righteous by faith. Lord, thank you. I bless your holy name. Amen.